Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I love how the digital age has made information so easily accessible. Now I can keep learning from the comfort of my own home, whether it's for academics or my personal hobbies. With Globe Prepaid's GoPlus99 GoLearn, you can now continue your Project Loving Myself journey with more ease. With 99 pesos, you can have 16 GB of data that you can use to access educational sites such as YouTube Learning, Udemy, Google Suite, Educacion, and Canva. And on top of that, you get unlimited text to all networks. Go plus 99 with Go Learn. You get a total of 16 GB of data. That's 8 GB to browse sites for what you need and 8 GB of data for apps that you love. You also get unlimited text to all networks valid for seven days. To register, grab your mobile phones now and head on to the Globe One app, Gcash, or dial star 143 pound on your phone. Break free and take charge of your life when you keep learning with Globe Prepaid. Podcast Network Asia. The pandemic reminded me of how ephemeral everything is, how th that this is such a quick transition, how fleeting everything is. And maybe it was God's way of reminding me, I don't know with others, that, you know, you were forgetting a lot of things. You were running too fast. You thought you were invincible. You thought you were on top of a mountain. You thought everything was, you know, it is a necessary nudge. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal, and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hello to everyone who is joining me on this episode of the Project Loving Myself Experience. Today we drop an episode with someone who is such a personal inspiration to me, someone I look up to for what he has achieved, 
someone who has qualities that I would love to emulate. So I'm completely starry-eyed on this episode as I introduce this very larger-than-life guest. I'm actually a little bit nervous, and I don't even get nervous, but that's a good sign because it means that life still presents me all these exciting challenges, good ones, of course, and so many more opportunities are planned for me. Who knows what is behind that next door? When you get butterflies in your stomach, maybe because you're a little bit intimidated, excited, or nervous, well, these are all great signs that you are truly living your life. It is not a sign of weakness or a red flag. In fact, it's normal, it's natural, and we should be grateful for it. When we do things for the first time, we are creating new neural pathways in our brain that develops our abilities, allowing us to live our lives more enriched, and we bring in more unique experiences that help us to grow as individuals. It really is up to us to make our own lives exciting for us, to keep striving for personal growth, to move ahead in our journey of self-discovery in this experience we call life. And the passion, the motivation to do so has to come from us too, to succeed, to create, to live each moment doing what we love to do. Our guest today is pretty good at that. It is an understatement to say that top television host Boy Abunda, or Tito Boy, like most people call him, has come a long way. For his deeply penetrating questions and his brilliant way of relating to his guests, he has been dubbed as the king of talk and recognized by people across the globe for his many talents. He continues to bring raw, unfiltered exclusives to the table and reigns over the talk show scene despite the many significant changes that we have seen in the last few years in the entertainment landscape. Being in the show business for over three decades has definitely made him one of the most celebrated and influential TV personalities in Philippine media. A true pillar of the Philippine television history. He is a seasoned host, a star maker, talent manager, a professor, a journalist, a writer, and a proud Nanai's gay boy, as is the title of one of his books. It is an honor to have you here, Tito Boy. Welcome to Project Loving Myself. Thank you. I am profoundly humbled by all that you said, but I'm happy to be here with you, Sanaya. Thank you. Me too. Me too. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'm so happy that we have both been able to make it here to get the, the show started. So let me start with um, the beginning, Tito Boy. Can you give us a bit of background on who was Tito Boy before he became the king of talk? What were the challenges you had to conquer? You know, where did you come from before you were able to carve out your own niche in the industry to get to where you are today? First of all, I love the title of your podcast, Project Loving Oneself. I, I, I think it's uh, in itself truly empowering. It's inspiring. Who was I before I became who I am today? I was many. I was a high-riding prostitute. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> I was many, Sanaya. I, I have a very humble past. I have a very poor beginnings. I was... I should find a phrase. I, I was a Warai warrior prior to where I am today. Warai because I come from Samar and uh, we speak Warai. 
And I was wired because I fought. I fought my way to be able to give my nana the best life and to be able the best waray that I could be. It was tough. It was a tough life. Tough life. Really tough life. Tougher than tough. I slept in the benches of Luneta Park. I opened doors of restaurants. I sold encyclopedias. I sold fire extinguishers. I quit school because we had no wherewithal to be able to send me to school. My father died inside a taxi cab in the arms of his loving mother, my grandmother, and arrived at the hospital lifeless. And I remember, if I were to describe my past before I got to where I am today, which is still in the middle of a journey, I will not forget that morning when we could not bring the body of my father out because we had no money to pay the hospital. But I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't, I didn't annotate my life. I just, I just wrote the highs and the lows of my life. And I think the universe conspired and God took care of the rest. And if you ask me how, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I put in a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, praying, a lot of believing in luck, and because I do believe in luck, and just surrendering. You know, Tita Boy, as you were talking about that, you know, I'm thinking your story is really the Filipino dream. There have been individuals here in the Philippines who come from humble beginnings. They too have, you know, they've done many things to get to where they have now gotten to a name that comes to mind, Manny Pacquiao, for example, internationally known for his story as well. And, you know, what do you think separates those people who actually get somewhere? They come from humble beginnings and they actually get somewhere. They make a huge success of themselves because I, I do see that this is something that a lot of Filipinos are striving towards to make their own mark, but not everybody gets there. So what allowed you to get there? What allows people like Manny Pacquiao or many other individuals who have also, you know, been known for what they've been able to achieve from this country, from our country? There are some words that come to mind right now. Spunk, bravado, ambition. And these are not easy words because People who come from where I came from are made of a different stuff. You know, today, Sanaya, uh, Sanaya when, I, when I do my interviews and someone talks about, let's say, a public service or accessibility of schools to, to, to children or poverty, these are not concepts to me. These are real. So what separates us? What delineates, you know, what, what's that line that separates people who come from the school of hard knocks? And this is not to say we're special. This is just to say that this happened to be our story or our stories. But what I think, and this is a guess, is I will not speak for others, is that impregnable desire. In my case, for example, I wanted to give my nana a better life. After that, I passed on. There was no stopping me. I remember going home to Samar and speaking to my mother. And I said, give me two years, Nay. I just want to know what I can do because I want to give you the best life. So what is it? It's that bravado. It's that spunk. It's that ambition to get out of, 
to get out of that poverty, to get out of that difficulty, because I didn't, I didn't imagine my mother continuing the, the, the pattern that she lived. Uh, she was a public school teacher. She didn't see Sanaya, her check for years because they would go straight to the woman who, who used to loan us money. I don't want to say loan shark. Nana didn't like the idea of loan sharks because according to her, had it not been for the woman who used to lend her money, we wouldn't have gotten to school. So it was a deliberate choice on her part. So I again, I say I don't speak for others, but what do I have? I knew I was not going to stop because my ambition, my dream was to give my mother the best life. You know, the words you use, spunk, bravado, ambition, I mean, they perfectly describe you. But also, I think of perseverance. I think of tenacity. You know, I think of someone with a vision. So there's a lot of qualities that I think you've developed along the way. But I think what really stands out for me and what I'm hearing from you is your ability to take the the difficulty, the, the negative you know, and turn it into a positive. For example, you said your mother doesn't want to call, you know, this person who lent her money a loan shark because that person did something good for, for her. And I think you maybe have also kind of uh, taken on from that where you're looking at your beginnings as giving you the, you know, the goal, the vision, the purpose to do something for your mother. And I think that's something that's important to highlight. No, and then I didn't want to go into the blame game. She was not apologetic about being poor. She was proud. She was a proud public school teacher. I want to go back to the words that you used after the words I used. Perseverance was not something that I saw. I was not even aware about it. But that was not a choice. And so far as I was concerned, and I am concerned today, tenacity, it has to be there. It has to be there. I, I cannot imagine... But again, there was tenacity because, because of my truth. There is no other way. There was no other way but to be tenacious as you go on your journey. Vision, if you call, I would say, perp, I, I, I didn't have a vision. I didn't annotate my life. You know, Shania, when I was doing, when I was living my life, I, it was one day at a time, but I didn't even know it was living a life one day at a time. But because I come from very humble beginnings, I knew I could not waste, I could not waste a day. Not to say that I didn't have fun, not to say that I didn't commit all the big mistakes in my life. But every time I'd go back to myself, I would say, I cannot waste so much time. I remember speaking to my friends one day, one time, we were in the park, we were in the park and we were just talking. And I came up with an idea and I said, this is not helping us. We are meeting almost every day in our lives. We have the same stories. And I don't think we can just echo each other. You'll have to go your way. You'll have to go your way. I'll have to go my way. Meet once in a while, compare notes, and just help each other. But I don't think we can really be in just one chamber and echo each other. Some understood, some didn't. One took it like I was getting out of my, you know, my, my, my group of my of friends. One understood and said, yeah, I mean, you know, why don't we apply in a restaurant and find a job? Why don't you go to a sales office and sell some things? Because you also have that tendency to be comfortable in difficult times. You know, that I know that's an oxymoron, but you, without realizing it, and sometimes with a lot of prayers and a lot of, you know, self-talk and a lot of attention sometimes that you give to yourself, 
you actually want to be comfortable in misery. And and misery likes company. <laughs> and uh, to, to people who are eavesdropping in this conversation, that is a reminder. Because when you talk to someone who's just as miserable as you are, yes, there is empathy, even co-feeling, as we would say. But does it bring you to the next step? That, does it bring you to the next dangerous place? That is, does it bring you to the next right or wrong decision? And the answer is no, because you're just going around that area where you're very comfortable, and no matter how miserable that state is. So get out, get out. I liked it in your intro when you talked about the uncertain space, because I've gotten so used, Sanaya, to going to that edge, going to places that I'm not certain. It's the space of uncertainty. And I always say, when I go to a dangerous area in my life, when I go to an area where I don't know what's going to happen, that's where magic happens. And very often I say, in that uncertain space, that's where God resides. Wow, that was so nicely said, Tito Boy. I have to remind, I have to repeat it. So it is in that uncertain space that is where God resides. That's yeah. where the magic happens. You know, and for those listening, I mean, it is that that uncertain, uncomfortable space where you have the room to grow, right? It's not when you are in, among people who are exactly like you. That's why I like to say, you know, surround yourself with people who are actually uh, way above you in, in whatever you are choosing to do, you know, who are much more successful, who are actually, you know, not of the same cloth you are made of, that instead, you know, they can give you these ideas that you maybe had not entertained before. Maybe they can trigger some, some uh, you know, insights. They can, you know, help you achieve those light bulb moments that will allow you to, to get out of that comfort zone. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be uncertain. Don't be afraid to be unsure. Don't be afraid not to know, because that is a beginning of knowing. Do not be too sure. Do not be afraid to be provoked. Do not even be afraid to fail. Do not even be afraid to be wrong. That, that, that's, that's the thing, because also, culturally, we are, you know, we, we have this proclivity to blend. You know, it's easier. It's easier. Don't be disagreeable. So, you know, I, I, I teach in the university, Sanai, and I always say, don't even be afraid to annoy yourself. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to annoy. Do not be afraid to question, to shake yourself. Because these are aha moments. These are light bulb moments. And you say, okay, in our language, kaya kupala. Because until you do it, I don't know, but I'm not really very comfortable about being comfortable. I, I, I like being shaken. I am not, to this very day, when I have a material, when I do a show, I don't have a lot of fun in a material that makes me comfortable. I like the uneasy feeling. I like, Kanina, uh, uh, Sanaya, for example, you always start and then something goes wrong, you do, you do your intro. I like that. I like, wh why? What's wrong? You know, you, don't you know my rhythm? Don't you know my, you know, this is a space I travel. I, I, I like that because that doesn't make you relax. And the moment, the moment you relaxed in the creative, in the content a world we're in, that really oftentimes leads you to mediocrity. Agreed. And I like how you said it, you know, you're uncomfortable about being comfortable yes. because you want to be on your toes. You want to be, you know, reacting and adapting and sort of, you know, ready for whatever comes your way. And I think that's truly living. Right. That's, that's life. Different. 
that's listening. That's really listening. Listening to what, what's happening around you. Uh, being aware, being present, being mindful, being there, being in that moment. Because, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Eckhart Tolle. I, I love his philosophy when he says, life is actually a series of present moments. All I have is now. I have Sanaya and I doing a conversation, and that is all I have. That is all I have. The next moment will be another moment. But right now, life is about you and me doing this conversation. The power of now. Yeah. The power <laughs> of now. The power of now. The past is gone. The future is at the tip of that now. Life is a series of present moments. So celebrate the now because that's all you have. I, I love it, Tita Boy. I love how we're like vibing on the same, you know, level. And this is like just synchronous and things are just kind of rolling off um, the conversation, which I love. Now, I want to roll back to something you mentioned about your truth. You talked a little bit about being in your truth or speaking your truth. And I'm going to quote you from something that I researched. You said, discovering your passion is not a science. It's living life as truthfully as you can. And you also said your truth is the most important thing, not the truth of your mom and dad, but your own truth. It's instinctual. Now, I use that phrase a lot about living your truth, speaking your truth. But sometimes I feel that maybe other people don't really understand. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market this concept like what does truth really mean what does it mean to live your truth to stand in your truth so tell me a little bit about what it means to you and how did you live by your own truth in sort of the the journey of your life thus far and it becomes more complicated when you ask questions like what if your truth violates the truth of the other it's a never-ending discussion about truths my point is I, I go to Confucius Wisdom is knowing oneself, but also recognizing that there is the other. And going back again to Confucius, he says, do not impose anything on others that you wouldn't impose on yourself. It's almost similar to the golden rule. My truth, you know, when you're young, Sanaya, maramiang nakikinig, a lot of people are eavesdropping, listening into this conversation. And they would say, uh, did Tito Boy know that when he was young, did he know these things? No, I had no idea what was happening. But I will tell you that there were things I was afraid of. There were things I avoided. I, there, there were things I would run away from. But only for me to realize that they were part of my core. I, I, I speak about 
staying true to your core, staying true to your truth. And for the sake of discussion, let's limit it to a couple of things. I mean, in so far as my story is concerned. Number one, it was very difficult to talk about my being gay in a macho province like Samar, in a macho neighborhood where everybody was macho, including the women. I mean, what I women are like, the Maasai, you know, warriors, uh, the really brave, strong women, just like Indian women. Okay, so it was very difficult for me to talk about my sexuality. I would pretend, I would hide, I would run away. Not because, I don't think because I was afraid about being gay, but because I didn't want to hurt my mother. I didn't want to hurt my father. I, I didn't want to hurt my relatives. I, I didn't want to embarrass my family. So in the beginning, I was behaving that way. I remember there was this place, in, in one of my books, I discussed this. There was a place where young boys would holler from every corner, just uh, nasty names, uh, calling us names, etc. And I would really run fast, not realizing, but running fast was my weapon. Because, you know, it was about Nana. It was about my father. It was about us walking to church on Sundays. And I didn't want anybody just shouting from nowhere that I was gay. And, you know, we have regional accent, Sanaya. In, in, in the Philippines, the terrain is rough. Samar, we have a quaint Irish brogue. <laughs> it's a quaint accent. You know, and uh, we pronounce E as E, O, U, etc. So I felt inferior to the city boys and girls who spoke in a way that was so beautiful. And I struggled about my accent for many years to this very day, but of course it's a different attitude now. And then, you know, people sometimes are not kind. You, you're not as beautiful as Miss Universe. You were not as beautiful as, you know, uh, the, the other boys and the other girls. And when you're not pretty enough, you are bullied. You are marginalized. So th th these are things which were... These were elements which were very, very important to my truth. It took a while. It took a journey before I was able to say, hey, I'm proudly gay. It, it was not an easy walk. It was not an easy walk. Um, when I say I am what I, and my accent is part of my truth. So if I don't speak the way you do, I will not apologize for it. But there were years when I wanted to copy the way other people were speaking. I wanted to get the Arineo accent so badly. I wanted to speak like the others. I wanted to blend. I wanted to be like them because I thought that was the best way to live. Only for me to realize much later that being myself and sticking to that accent was the best way to live. And then beauty is relative. I realized that I was stealing my own happiness by allowing people to define my beauty. And I often say it facetiously today that if you don't say how beautiful I am, something is wrong with your eyes. I know it's, you know, but um, it's true. Yeah, it's really true. And I tell young mm -hmm. people, I tell young people today, no one has the right to steal your beauty. No one has a right to define your sense of beauty. No one has the right to steal your happiness. And most of all, you have no right to steal your own happiness. So talking about the truth, it takes a journey. It takes a journey to discover. I, I, you're right by saying that it's not science. It's not one plus one, or it's not a product of an experiment that by doing this, you arrive at the truth. It is a journey. It is a journey. And it is a spiritual, it is a personal. It's a personal journey.
Oprah talks about, I don't know if it's Oprah or Maya Angelou, when I think it was Maya Angelou, who spoke about that core. It's that space within you that nobody can violate. It is that space where you can, you can be yourself, you can laugh, you can celebrate your ancestors. It is that space where you are happiest, where you are at your, at your most peaceful. It is that space where there is equanimity, there is balance, and you do not allow anybody to get into that except you and your God. And that's where your truth is. And the difficult thing is the truth that others want for us very often, if not all the time, is not a truth. Again, truth cannot be mistaken for expectations because you are, you should. Mm-hmm. No, because you are, you are. And that's how it should be. Wow. That's amazing what you said, everything you said. Um, the quote you you shared, I mean, that definitely sounds like Maya Angelou. You know, yeah. definitely. Um, I will definitely look that up and, and post it on the episode. But for me, the most powerful statement you made was, I will not apologize. I will not apologize for being me, for being myself, for speaking the way I am, for looking the way I want to look. And I think that if we can sort of capture the essence of that in our life, I will not apologize for being me. Then you stand proud in who you are, you know, and I think there's a a great sense, a great deal of self-respect when we can get to that point. So I love that you're sharing that on this, you know, on this episode, because a lot of us, a lot of people are still on that journey where they're struggling with being themselves. They're, you know, they, they don't know what it would look like to drop that whole conflict, to drop that and just allow yourself to stand in your truth, truth to live by your truth. The struggle is okay. For the longest time, I used to worry, especially when I was doing television, my first few years on television, I used to worry about my nose. It's so big, etc. Until, you know, my partner, Bong, would say, um, you have a big nose. I said, yeah. Uh, does it bother you? I said in the beginning. But right now, when you ask me, no, it's the most beautiful nose. Why? Because it is mine. Because it is mine. So it's the most beautiful. And um, yeah, it, don't, don't worry about the journey. Don't worry about the journey. You'll get there. Just believe that you'll get there. Believe and it will happen. You will get there. You will get there. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Agreed. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to be right back after this short break. The fun thing about this whole online setup is that we get to meet new people and learn new things all from the comfort of our home. Learning new things with Globe Prepaid's GoPlus99 is as easy as scrolling through your social media. With just 99 pesos, you can now access YouTube Learning, Google Suite, Canva, and other educational sites for seven days. Go Plus 99 with Go Learn, and you get a total of 16 GB of data. That's 8 GB to browse sites for what you need, and 8 GB of data for apps that you love. You also get unlimited text to all networks valid for seven days. To register, grab your mobile phones now and head on to the Globe One app, Gcash, or just dial star 143 pound on your phone. With Globe Prepaid, learning is easier, stress-free, and better. 
Now, I truly admire, Tita Boy, the way you're able to get your guests to sort of open up to you, to share a piece of themselves with the audience without any pretense. I think that's something a lot of people have said about um, the way you present yourself. And some people say it's the art of conversation. Some people would say it's the gift of gab. But to me, like what stands out for me, it's your ability to really listen to people, to connect with them on a very human level. And it doesn't matter, you know, what age your guest is. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. It doesn't matter if your guest is a head of state, a politician, international celebrity, you know, you are able to speak to them, to connect to them and to make them feel safe to express themselves, to show their truth. How did you develop this talent? What would you say to someone who's looking to to kind of develop that or to have more of that? How did I do it? I did it by committing all the necessary mistakes. And that is not meant to play with words. That is real. I, I said the wrong words. I said the wrong questions. I did the worst interviews and so far as I'm concerned, but I remained a student. You're right. I may be voluble, I may be, you know, I may be verbose, but I listen. I listen to stories. And when I do my interviews, I'm talking about interviews, I prepare, Sanaya, I prepare. And preparation, again, Oprah talks about it, preparation meeting opportunity equals luck. I prepare. And pre what does preparation, what does preparation mean? It can mean research. It can mean being attentive and mindful to what others do, what you do, how you react, what, what, what's happening to the world, the spirit of the moment, the zeitgeist, uh, etc. It's being, it's remaining, I think, a student. It's, uh, it's, it's being interested. It's being interested with what is happening, not just to you, but to others and to all that you wouldn't even meet in your lifetime. I prepare for my interviews. Number two, when I do my interviews, I usually, you know, like just beginning of, of our interview, I don't do pre-interviews. I, I, I don't want to lose the freshness, the rawness of, of our conversation. I like, I like um, tripping during interviews. I like mispronouncing words. I like uh, grammatical errors. That's okay. That's okay. Because that's the best way to remember. When I was speaking to Sanaya, I said this word and it was not proper, etc. That's, I, I learned. Also because maybe I'm not just a student, but I am a teacher. I am a mentor. So when I sit in front of my guest, I have very clear intents. I'm very deliberate. I, I, I ask my questions because I want to listen to the answers. I ask my questions because you are an, an interesting personality and this is what my audience, I'm also very conscious about my audience. An interview is also a performance. Uh, I, I, I will not deny that. It is a performance because you're not just doing it for yourself. And it is challenging because there are questions where you are yourself and there are questions when you are your audience. But in the context of being able to ask the difficult questions, you know that when you do an interview, there are questions that are difficult. For example, a controversial figure comes to your show and there has to be a question that must be asked, the elephant question as we would say. I believe that, you know, I remember a couple of months ago, I did an interview with Gerald Anderson. He's an actor here in the Philippines. And I traveled two hours to a place where he was shooting. And he was in a controversy because of his personal life. And when I arrived the set, 
he said, uh, how was I? And then uh, that I was okay. And we had pleasantries, etc. And he said, what do we talk about? And I remember telling him, I will go to where you lead me. Because I was not going to ask the difficult questions if he was not open. Because it is my belief that an interview will never be more important than life. An interview will never be more important than a relationship. If that question is going to destroy someone, I'm not a journalist. I will never claim to be a journalist. I am an interviewer. And I make a distinction between a journalist and an interviewer. So when I told Gerald Anderson, I will go to where you lead me, I meant in the conversation, if he indicated that he wanted to talk about the controversy, I will go there. Because if you lead me, there is no stopping me. And But if you, if you beat around the bush, and I feel there are certain interviews, not the Gerald one, where you are disrespecting my respect, uh, that's an entirely different game because I will go straight to where you want to go. So it, it's really a dance. It can be sweet. It can be rough. It can be tough. But you have to have the sensibilities. You have to have the sensibilities and the sensitivities, you know, of someone who is present in a dance. I, I look at the eyes. I look at the body. I mean, is he, is she comfortable? There are people who would say, Tito Boy, I'd like to do an interview with you because I'd like to reveal something. And I say, that's okay, but let's talk. Uh, what are the parameters? That's an entirely different interview. I, I have done, I think, some hostile interviews. I have done some friendly interviews. I have done some uh, informative, entertaining interviews. My intent, Sanaya, is always clear from the very beginning. Am I always right? No. Did I regret some of the interviews, some of the questions I've asked in the past? Of course I did. Did I apologize for some uh, because I heard some people? Yes, I did. I did. But my intent is always clear. And not included in that circle of intention is hurting others. I will never deliberately hurt anybody on my set. I will ask the questions because they're necessary. I will ask the questions because I thought you were leading me towards that question. I ask the question because it is fair to my audience. I will ask the question because you are a public figure and you're accountable to my audience. My intent will always be clear, but that intention will never be to hurt you as a human being. And I think that's what your guests can feel because people feel safe in sharing Thank these you. intimate details with you. Um, I, I like that you talked about, you know, you're listening, you're looking at the verbal, nonverbal cues. You're kind of, you know, in everything you're saying, you're still listening, whether it's through the sensitivity, you know, through where they're directing you, you're listening and you're going with where they're taking you so it's it's a respect for the other person as well I, I might just forget this sorry because we're doing uh because a lot of young people may be again listening in or eavesdropping in this uh on this conversation you know when you do an interview with a person usually that person has an agenda you know i'd like to be able to tell my story i'd like to be able to promote my show i'd like to be able to share my story with my mother they, they have Agenda may be too much of a word, but they know what they want to say. They have a story. And many, many guests and many interviewees are nervous. Most of them are nervous because uh, this is one of the reasons why in my training classes, we talk about how it is to be a guest in talk shows. 
But again, I go back to, you know, going back to your core, going back to your truth, and be honest. Sanaya, I'm not comfortable with the question. I'm sorry. I would not be able to answer you. There is no rule in the world that says, may I have more time to think about it? Or I, I just can't answer that. I'm afraid uh, of hurting my, my parents or my sister. You know, Sanaya, one time I did an interview with uh, someone, a friend of mine, and Nanai was watching. And I was asked about my father being born out of wedlock, you know, and those were days when I had so much bravado and I couldn't care less. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't even thinking about my mother. So I spoke about my tatai being born out of wedlock. And that's a big thing in the province. And there's a cruel word for it. It is a pejorative word for it. So after the interview, I felt good because I also... I, I felt like I, I, I said my piece. I said my truth. When I came home, Nanai, my mother, spoke to me. And the short of the long story is that she said she was very hurt. She was very hurt about my story because it is not something that should be repeated. And that I had passed on and we should, we should allow that to rest. So I reasoned out very, very politely because I never spoke back to my mother. And I said, Nanai, I also have to deal with my own demons. I also have to deal with my own skeletons. So I, I, this is the reason I spoke about it. You know what my mother said? I don't know the rules of television. I don't know the rules of talk shows, of conversations. But today, as a mother and you as a son, I will tell you, that not all truths can be told in public. So I shut up. Okay. I really shut up. And I, I realized that even if we talk about our truths, your truth is not the truth. Of, I liked it when you said earlier that, uh, you know, the, the truth of my mother is that it was painful to her. And I respected that. And had I known that, I would have had another way of retelling that story because I hated the idea of inflicting pain on my own mother. You know, I think that um, in the beginning, the first step is learning to speak our truth. And there are things that we must say. There are things we have to verbalize. And sometimes we need to do that in public, right? But I think the next evolution, the next level of our growth and evolution is to be able to speak our truth, to live our truth while being sensitive or compassionate with other people. And respecting their truth. And I think that's what your story is really about is initially you weren't thinking about probably how your mother would, was feeling because it was about your truth. But I think the perspective set in when you spoke to her and you could understand where she's coming from. And, you know, I've struggled with that myself, Tito Boy, like I, I'm writing a book and the book has some experiences from my childhood that I know would not be very comfortable to certain people and my parents if I had to share that for anyone to read. And sometimes that makes me kind of stop. And I know I've been stalling on certain chapters because it's difficult to say what I want to say without hurting the person who is, you know, involved in that. And, you know, perspectives change as we grow older. And sometimes we do things or we say things that we didn't mean at one time, right? So all of that kind of comes into play. And I like how you've brought that up because it, it, it reminds us that while it's important for us to be true to ourselves, it's also important to 
care about the people we love and to be sensitive to, to what they are feeling. But if you had to be in the situation again, how would you handle it? Knowing what you, you know, now that you've heard your mother's side and you said you'd say it a bit differently, but how would you approach it today, Tito yeah. Boy? Yeah. First of all, I probably would not tell the story again. I would probably have made it a lot shorter that my father was born out of marriage. I wouldn't have gone into details. I would not have gone right. into details because I saw the pain in, in my mother's eyes. If I could avoid not talking about it because I knew my mother was watching, I would, I would avoid it today. I would avoid it today. And would have waited for the right time. I mean, sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about, you know, uh, telling the story at the right time. Timing sometimes is everything, especially in, you know, the public business, in the public space. And, but it's, I'm, I'm really conflicted about it, Sanaya, because the best way to tell the truth is to say it, you know, just really to say it. And I was telling my nana, and I wanted her to understand that I also had to deal with it. As dealing, you know, it was not easy, Sanaya, to say, I have one grand set of grandparents here, and a couple of houses away, I have another set of grandparents. How how was a child to deal with it? I spoke about it that way. So that must have been so embarrassing for my mother that she said, Why did you have to go there? Uh, because I was calling so many people grandparents, Lolot Lolas, you know, and it, it, it was difficult. The way a person, a, a young a baby born out of wedlock was called during their time was anak sa pagkabastardo, which is really painful, which is really insulting, which is really pejorative. And I kept on saying that during the interview. And I think my, my, my mother uh, felt it was an overkill. It was an overkill. And to me, it was liberation. It was liberating me from that story. So if your question, if today, how would I do it differently? I'd probably just shut up and I would probably just wait for the right time. So maybe speaking our truth is not something that we have to kind of push on to others, number no. one. And you mentioned that earlier. No. And I think also speaking your truth doesn't have to be like, you know, shouting from the top of the mountain for everyone to hear. It might be just something we need to discuss with one person in a private setting, or it might be, you know, something that we need to pen down and never need to, to show anyone else. So I think there are layers to that concept of speaking our truth. And we need to have a little bit of um, a little bit of maybe caution or a little bit of prudence. Prudence is the right word. Yeah. Um, perfect. When, when doing so. It makes a lot of sense. I'm learning. See, I mean, yeah, there are so many layers on how you can handle your truth and you cannot impose your style on others. Yeah. I mean, some truths should just be in that space that we talked about. Uh, wanting to come out at the right time when you speak to your sister or when you speak to, and I, I believe in divine guidance. You know, and I was just the reckless, you know, uh, celebrity talking about my family, not caring. I regretted that, uh, Sanaya. I, I, I didn't like the, now that I am remembering it, I cringe. I, I don't like the, the feeling. I don't like the feeling right now, even remembering that particular interview where I thought I was so good because I was so, uh, I was so 
<laughs> I was so open about our story. And I, I regret having done that. Which is why you said you're always a student, right? We keep learning, we keep growing, we do it better the next time. And I'm glad that you're saying that so that our listeners can understand even someone, you know, where you are still introspects and tries to do things better every step of the way. And I think that's the most important thing that we remain that student. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Now, we're talking a little bit uh, Tito Boy, about the digital space, the, the space that is now public. So I want to kind of get into that. In today's digital age, everyone is a content creator. Everyone has something to say. Considering, Tito Boy, you came from that television background and you have transitioned to a lot more digital content with your podcast, with your YouTube channel. I mean, you you are um, also creating on many different platforms. How do you feel about this? You know, that everyone's a content creator and you too have moved from that television to the digital platform. What are your thoughts about this? It was scary in the beginning and I was not about to yield my television training to the digital platform. So in the beginning of the pandemic, my attitude was, I'm not gonna do anything digital because I wanna go back to television. I will wait until you know I'm able to go back to television. And that still stays, I want, I, I miss television. I, I miss the fun, uh, the discipline of television, and I will be back on television. But what happened was, can you imagine we're talking about truth? We're talking about layers of expression of truth. And then you put in the element of social media. That's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. Because take out social media, just the human being and the relationships around a human being is already a complicated discussion about truth. You put in social media... The first thing that comes to mind is perhaps this is the same reaction when radio came about after the big band sound as a form of entertainment and communications. And this is probably how radio reacted when television came about, that it was going to send radio into obsolescence until radio found its own space. And you're right. Everybody has become a broadcaster, a producer, a content um, creator, an opinion maker, an expert, everybody. And the, the scary part is one person can be all, you know, it's, it's really scary. And there is no regulatory board that says you are a content creator. You know, we are in the entertainment business and nobody says, you're, you're, okay, uh, you, you can host. This one can make jokes. You're a comedian. You're a singer, etc. There are no hard and fast rules in the entertainment business. It's the entertainment business. It's a business of magic. And that social media comes into play. My personal reaction, my first look was, I will admit, for the first time, Sanaya, that uh, when I was watching social media, Facebook to Pinterest to Reddit to everything, to Twitter to IG, etc., I said, this is an abuse of everything I learned. You know, so there was a bit of, there was a bit of uh, condescension. Because I was refusing, I was refusing to embrace it. And, uh, you know, so you, you belittle it. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to be right back after this short break. This is Boy Abunda. 
On this special limited news season, eight actresses, award winners, artists, Isa Calzado, Eugene Domingo, Janine Gutierrez, Dimples Romana, Julia Pareto, Sunshine Dizon, Angelica Panganiban, and Sherry Hill. Eight women, one question. Who are you when no one's watching? Subscribe and catch my podcast's new episode every Thursday. Are you belittled because I'm coming from television? I was big time on television. So this is an aberration of everything that I know. Okay, that was my first attitude. And I was trying to comfort myself by saying that I was trying to make myself believe that it's not going to last. And then what happened? ABS-CBN shut down. But after a while, it is important to remain a student. After a while, you realize that you're being brought down on your knees. And you have no choice, again, but be humbled. You know, uh, either I play with you or I am forgotten or I, uh, I become irrelevant. And if you know me, Sanaya, you know that I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow anybody to forget me. I work hard. I work hard. And I worked hard to get to where I am. And if this means learning a few new steps in my life, no matter how complicated or no matter how, to my mind then, no matter how insane they were, I had to learn new tricks. So it humbled me. Third reaction was, okay, if this is where I am, I don't know, and it, it has become very difficult for many people to discern what is legit, what is real, what is fake, because everything is curated, clickbaits every corner of social media and the internet. It pushed me to going back to my core. And what is that core? Okay, I'll play the game, but I want to be the best in what I do. And the journey continues. I will do my podcast, but I will do, I'll do it the way I want to do it. I will do my YouTube channel, but I will do the best I do uh, by, by, by learning. You know, I, I started my YouTube channel also by doing what everybody did. You know, I, I, I went to my farm. I washed clothes in the river until I realized that people wanted to watch my interviews. I, 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 went, I, I have a Facebook fan page and I didn't know what people wanted. And I, I earned my, you know, I, I, I am scarred and I am bruised. Yeah, after two years. And I, I'm, now, I'm now in grade four <laughs> in so far as social media is concerned. But the resolve, the resolve to be the best of who I am, uh, the resolve to, to, to create my own brand, to, to create my brand equity, the resolve not to blend is still very strong. And that's my present moment. And that's my moment right now. Amazing. I totally relate to what you're saying, and I love a lot of the things that you shared. Now, a couple of things that um, I wanted to bring up uh, in relation to what you said. So you mentioned about how, like, everybody's a content creator and they're doing everything, you know, host, announcing, performer, publisher. Everyone can do pretty much every job, um, you know, in a click of a button, right? So when I think about that, to me, Tito Boy, it's, it's almost like entertainment, the entire industry has become like democratized. You know, now suddenly where the power 
was in the hands of the executives running the networks who were dictating what kind of content is being created. Now you don't have that anymore. Now each person decides what content they want to create and they put it out the way they want to. Right. And, and like you said, there's no regulation. Like I remember when I started my podcast on the network and I was like, guys, what can I say on the podcast? Like, what are things I'm not allowed to say? Am I allowed to curse? And I remember, you know, Podcast Network Asia is like, you can say whatever you want. No one's going to stop you. And I was like, what? That was like a lot of freedom. You know, there's nobody going to tell me or nobody going to like, you know, edit me or, or um, you know, mute me. So it was just, it was a lot of responsibility, right? And so now that responsibility of, of what kind of content we put out is on us. Okay. So on one hand, we have the power. It's in our hands. We decide what we're putting out there. Second point is there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that because now, you know, we have control over everything and we have to be very careful about what we are contributing to this kind of digital space, the sea of information that's, that's out there, the content. Okay. Now, a third point I wanted to make is that in TV for you, you had an audience that would watch your shows. With the digital space, you no longer have an audience that's just listening. Now your audience is talking back to you, right? If they don't like what you're saying, they'll comment right away on social media, right? They're going to say things about, you know, what you say, what you put out there. And sometimes that can go into like hate mail, social media bullying, you've got trolling, you've got this whole idea of cancel culture, and there's no protection anymore. Because if you do, you know, one misstep, right, there's no one going to protect you from that. You're out there, you know, and everyone can kind of say what they want. So this brings up the whole point of like, we want everyone to be part of a conversation because everyone has a voice. But sometimes that voice isn't very positive. That voice is not very, you know, conducive to the larger conversation. What are your thoughts on on these kind of issues that I'm talking about? And how do you handle it? I'd like to go into the first discussion that you had about power and responsibility. I totally agree that everybody has been empowered, you know, to put out content of whatever color, shade, tenor. You're right there. Responsibility, I, I hate to say this, but it has become relative and which should not be relative because you're either responsible or you're not responsible. So that that's where the problem lies because here you are exercising your power to create content and to put out something that you think whatever will do. I mean, you want to help, you want to inspire, you want to make people laugh, but does that power include... <laughs> dishing out lies does that power include hurting others does that include embarrassing others humiliating others etc so it's it's a pie that's so huge and so cluttered it's 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 a bit cluttered and you put in the word responsibility and the conversation continues because responsibility is attached to something that's good okay so that becomes a problem in in, in management of social media I'll go into the hate thing, into the bashers, into people reacting to you. I'm lucky because I come from a public space, Sanaya, where 
I've been called all sorts of names in my over three decades of doing television. So it's not strange to me. Disapproval is not a new concept to me. Somebody liking me, somebody disliking me, somebody hating me. But you are right. Now it's in your face. It's now in your face. I'm not a fan of going through comments. I have a group of, I have a community of people whose opinions I respect. And I have enough, uh, uh, well, without having to sound, I have enough experience to know when I'm doing right. My, my, my compass is very clear. Uh, not only my moral compass, but even my work ethic compass, my uh, performance compass, all these compasses are very clear. So to be told as to what is right and what is wrong and to be told that I am pretty or ugly is not, more, is not a big concern. But there is one thing very clear. I will not allow anybody to drag me into a space of negativity in social media. So what am I trying to say? As a small player now in the social media, whatever weight I put into praise is the same weight I put into criticism. You just don't listen to the nice words. You're the best. You, you ask the right questions. You know, If you want to go there, you go also to the in-the-face, harsh, hostile comments because you have to be fair to yourself. But I manage it by... I, I, I know when I do a good job. I know when I overtalk. I know when... Uh, I made sense. I know when I need to improve on something. I know when I was not at my best. And I have a community of friends. I have a partner who says, oh, that was one of your worst interviews. <laughs> I don't need a basher. I live with some. <laughs> so I do not, I would not want to allow anybody to drag me into that space of negativity. You know, I, I don't want to engage. I, I don't want to debate with someone who says, uh, you're pangit. And I say, no, I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm not going to do that. That's my personal opinion. I do not respect that opinion. I acknowledge the presence of that opinion. But the way I treat harsh criticism, hostile criticism, is the way I view excellent praise. Because, you know, remember, it's, you know, naturally as human beings, we gravitate towards you're beautiful, you're so nice, you know, etc. especially on social media. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm lucky that I have been afforded um, a community of people who would normally say, that was, I, I couldn't even hear your voice, your audio was ho horrible, uh, you, etc., etc. So I'm used to that. Because on television, Sanaya, I'm used to the TOA. You know, after my interview, I watch myself and I say, oh my God. What did I say? Oh, my God. I, I, I caught Sanaya there because I was like, oh, my God, there. Okay. Okay. And I, 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 to this very day, after over 30 years, to this very day, I still write my notes and I say, these are the things. So I'm not going to allow haters and likers to define who I am. I, I like that. That's a really important lesson is not to let other people define you. And I like also you said, you know, don't engage. There are some areas you want to engage. And if, you know, if it's negative, just do not bother. Stay out of it, right? Then you're kind of, you know, you don't get dirty. You don't get sullied by that, right? And I, 
And I also like how you said that, that you know who you are. In, in, in your own words, you, you're basically saying you know who you are. It doesn't matter what anyone says. So whether you, you know, they say good things or bad things, at the end of the day, if you know who you are, it doesn't really matter either way. You're not going to let your ego get inflated by those, you know, those uh, comments that are, you're so good, you're so amazing. You know, you're not going to play into that, but you're also not going to buy into the criticisms because you're, you're impervious. Like that's not of your interest. So I guess you have the right boundaries. That's a nice word. Yeah. You're impervious because you work hard to get to where you are. You get, you, right. you work hard. I mean, you, it, it's not something that's arbitrary. It's not something that right. you say, this is who I am and you can't touch me. No way. I mean, you are mindful that attached and chillery to social media are these comments. You, you know that you realize that you allow that. I will not, uh, I will not, uh, I will not give it to them because that's part of it. But will I allow? Will I spend hours just reading bad comments? About, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Both ways, both ways. I am grateful yeah. to those who appreciate my job. I am grateful. I do not respect some of the opinions that are dished out. I, I do not. But I acknowledge their existence. I acknowledge the existence. You know, Tito Boy, when I first started doing like um, IGTV lives and I would start doing like some interviews, like I, I was really, on, I was very, very shy. Like I'm actually a very outgoing person, but to watch your own self or to know you're being filmed, I mean, it's a whole different thing. And I don't come from the entertainment industry. I'm, my background is a, a life coach and a healer. I run a, a healing well-being center. So Although I do speak and I speak at events, when I first got into sort of the digital space, it was definitely a lot of getting used to. And my way of doing it was I would never watch my videos. I would never listen to myself unless I had to. I wouldn't want to play back anything because I don't <laughs> think I had the maturity at that point right. to not, you know, find what, what were the flaws. I, I, I wasn't ready at that point. And I did do, I did some work on myself and I, you know, obviously I, I grew through the process. And when I felt I was at that point where I could watch my own videos, listen to my own um, episodes without cringing at what I said or didn't say, or, you know, like cut someone off or, you know, mispronounce something when, when I was no longer kind of bothered by those things, that's when I was actually starting to listen and watch and I was enjoying myself and I was actually learning for myself, you know, and I think that's also kind of the journey we take is in the beginning, we might be a little bit more vain or uncomfortable or self-conscious, but as we grow to kind of love ourselves and be more forgiving and more kind, then we gain that ability of perspective and perhaps a bit more kindness to ourselves that that's we true. are, yeah. Yeah, we don't kind of revert to that negative or that critical type of um, relationship that many of us have grown up with. Because it came from, of course, many of us, it came from our parents. Our parents would criticize. So we learned the best way or the only way to relate to ourselves was to find what's wrong so we could fix it. Or even in school, our teachers, they would point out our mistakes. So we got used to finding our own mistakes instead of celebrating the best that there is about us. Um, so I guess it's just kind of like undoing that programming. Now I'm going to switch uh, gears a little bit, um, Tita Boy. 
Let's talk about the people you have interviewed. Uh, I looked at the list of, of a lot of different people you've interviewed, and I found people like Deepak Chopra, Mark Victor Hansen, Neil Donald Welsh. I mean, these are a lot of people that I admire. I've read their books. You know, I follow them. What was it like for you to interview these authors, these speakers in the field of well-being and spirituality? Is this something you were interested in in the beginning? Like, what was it like? Uh Let's talk about the three names. Of course, everybody has read, I think, Chicken Soup for the Soul. So it was really exciting to do an interview with Mark Victor Hansen. It was quite exciting because I I, I read the books. And so it, it was a fun interview. It was a very light interview, very nice guy, funny, engaging. So yes, I enjoyed that. Deepak Chopra was my first interview. On my show, Private Conversations with Boya Bunda. Remember, Sanaya, I was an entertainment show host. When I moved to ABS-CBN, I was doing the flagship entertainment show, The Buzz. All right. So, and it's not easy to cross into public affairs because, again, the stereotypes. When you do an entertainment talk show, <laughs> you're short of being uh, a dummy. That's a stereotype. You're not supposed to make sense. You're, you're, you're just entertainment. I, I totally resent that. I mean, I resented that. So what I did, when I was new with ABS-CBN, I went to the office of the president, Freddie Garcia, who was then president of ABS-CBN. And I said, after my first episode of The Buzz, Freddie, who came also from Channel 7, I came from Channel 7. I said, Freddie, you have to give me another show uh, because I want people to know that I can speak English. That was, of course, a joke. No, But um, I, I said that. I want people to know that I, I know how to ask questions, etc. Um, because I knew him and because he knew me, he called the vice president, Jake Maderasso, who, who was then vice president of news of ABS-CBN and say, Boy Abunda is in my office. He's demanding, jokingly, he's, he's demanding for another show, etc., etc. And at the end of that conversation, Freddie was telling Jake, give him a show and call it Private Conversations with Boy Abunda. And this was what, 1999, I think, when I moved to ABS-CBN. The next week, Deepak Chopra was in Manila to promote his book. <laughs> and I had no idea what a new age philosopher was. I had no idea what Deepak Chopra was all about. So I crammed, I researched, I read his books, etc. He was my, and it was live, Sanaya. It was live. It was live television. And I was doing it live from the Makati Shangri La Hotel. Okay. <laughs> And was I nervous? I think I was dying. I was fidgety. I was, it, it, it was horrid. It was a horrible time. But I, 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 I was there. I was present. The good thing was he was late. <laughs> he was late. He came down, apologetic, and he said, I'm really sorry. And he was late for just like three, four minutes. But it was a live show, so... You know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I said, uh, and he was explaining why I lost my belt. He lost his belt. <laughs> so uh, commercials and then private conversations with Boya Bunda started. And that was my inaugural show. It was my first show. Welcome to private conversation. The, this was a show where I, my, the, the blurb was, thank you for eavesdropping. So I remember this just now. My first question to Deepak Chopra. You are one of the most celebrated New Age philosophers. How does it feel to lose a belt? 
<laughs> See, only you could come up with that question. No, again, it was a very core question. I wanted to to I wanted to start a conversation from where, uh, from a space I knew, because I know how it is to lose a belt, you know, when you're going to an affair. So it started it, and it became, I think, one of the most engaging conversations I had. Wonderful man, brilliant man. You know, I didn't have to ask. A, I realized that I didn't even have to ask a question. I realized that I just had to listen. So I, I learned a lot from the man and we we wrote to each other after that interview. And um, wow, I mean, when I look back, I said, how did it happen? Neil Donald Walsh was an entirely different story because I was doing interviews already. I was used to philosophers and uh, social scientists, etc. But it was unforgettable because he broke down in my interview. He broke down, but it was intimidating because when he came to the set, the first line he said was, he was also on a, bo a book tour, uh, Conversations with God. The first uh, thing that he said was, nice meeting you, boy. You know, um, I enjoy conversations. The last interview I did in the U.S. was Oprah Winfrey. I mean, Sanaya, how do you react to that? <laughs> I know. Oh, my. What, what a bar to set. <laughs> I mean, this is like uh, 60 seconds before air time, before you do your show. So I said, really? Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but, of course, it was not the, with the intent of intimidating you, but you know, it was a matter of fact for Neil Donald Watch. We did a conversation. Three o'clock in the morning, you know, he would write the book. He would hear voices. He would write conversations with God, etc. I listened. I listened. I didn't get out of that present moment. I was just listening because the keywords were conversations with God. How do you do it? What makes you so special to be given the chance to, to do a conversation with God? I mean, who are you? Who is God? Etc. And towards the end of the interview, when I was asking him about, you know, a special trait for someone to be given the power to hear the voice of God. And I asked him, are you faithful to your wife? I didn't realize, Sanaya, that the wife was in front. I mean, off cam. And he was having problems, I think, with the marriage. Because all I was trying to say was, if you are too lucky in life to be given this honor of you know, doing conversations with God, uh, let's talk about something that's private. You know, How are you as a father? How are you? I started there. And then I went into, are you faithful to your wife? He broke down. Wow. <laughs> and that became the conversation. Did I apologize after the show? I said I, it was a sensitive uh, matter, it was a sensitive cord. I said, I apologize, but I was clueless. He said, no, 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 that's okay. It was about me. It was about me. Because, of course, I didn't know. It was not part of my research that uh, something, you know, so he was in a rough patch with, with a wife. But that's what I mean by, by navigating that unknown space, because that's where magic happens. Do not be afraid. You know, we were talking about God, conversations. We were talking about how lucky you are. So if you are lucky, let's talk about you. So when I said, are you faithful to your wife? That made a conversation. The stories about conversations. It sounds like you're a little bit psychic, Tita Boy. <laughs> Thank you. Really? I think, I mean, I think it comes, you know, it's part of the job when you are yeah. an interviewer, when you're talking to people, you know, you are feeling them, you're feeling, you know, where they want to go. And that has a lot to do with 
picking up information and emotions and and sort of things that they're not saying directly to you. And I think that's kind of what makes you so good at what you do is the ability to to pick up that information and to relate to them through that. But Sanaya, it's different when you do public officials. Uh, it's different when you do senators and presidents and congressmen and pub, pub, public people, the people who occupy public spaces and offices because you talk about accountability. So yes, I have asked some of the most difficult questions. I have asked some of the most difficult, some of the most bothersome questions, some of the most difficult questions. Yes, I have. I have. But because I know my intent, I know where I am. I have right. asked some questions you wouldn't imagine can be asked. I have. I asked, um, wow, I have asked about so many things. <laughs> I, I, I did. What would you say, Tito Boy, that is your most memorable interview to date? Anything that comes to mind, any particular, you know, stories or lessons that kind of come to mind from some of the interviews you've had? I had an interview with Sister Christine Tan. Uh, she was a Catholic nun. I did this many, many years ago. She came to my show, again, private con conversations with Boya Bunda. And I think she was sent by her congregation because they were trying to raise some funds for some projects. I did research. I did readings on Sister Christine Tan. She lived in Leveriza, which is a depressed area in Pasay City. And she didn't know who I was. She came from a well-off family, decided to uh, serve Christ and uh, the poor. A very interesting woman. Very interesting woman. She arrives on the set. And very tired. It was a long day. And then she said, who are you? So I started to introduce myself. I'm blah, 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 blah. I, 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 I have no problems with that, Sanaya. When somebody says, who are you, etc., I will introduce myself. This is, I'm Boya Bunda. I'm hosting the show, etc. So um, she was very tired. And she said she just came from uh, a slum area where they had an, a, a program for children, etc. I started the interview, Sanaya. Good evening. Welcome to Private Conversations. I have Sister Christine Tan. Sister Christine Tan. So I started to uh, do the conversation. You know that conversation? I don't know if you've been through it. You know that conversation when you ask a question and then you get one word? How are you? I'm fine. Sister Christine Tan, I, I was told that you, you come from a very well-off family. Why did you become a nun? Why not? <laughs> Quiet. Sister your congregation is into this project for the poor. Do you know what it is to be poor? Yes. You know? And it's live, live television. Pray. Pray. Pray that the transmitter <laughs> goes off. <laughs> so pray. You know, you don't know how to say it. I, I remember that. I mean, you know, talk about memorable interviews. My God, I didn't know what to do next. And like you, Sanaya... I listen and I take my question from the next answer. And I, I, I roll with you. I roll with you. And I was getting one word. And I was literally praying, Lord, bring us to the break. You know, I have, I have to regroup. I have to, I have to reclaim <laughs> my, my persona. But she was not nasty. She was not, you know, she was just tired. I, I do this because I, I love people. Why do you love people? Because I love them. 
uh, let's talk about Jesus Christ. So what do you know? What, what do you want to know about Jesus Christ? Why do you love him so much? Because I love him, you know. So wow. it went on. I don't know what I said. Like, you know, I DOA'd myself. I watched myself and I was I was laughing. I, I don't know how I survived it. During the break, I said, Lord, give me the words. And that has become my prayer. Before I start my shows, I said, Lord, I surrender and give me, give me the words. When we came back, I let go. So we talked about who she was. And I was ready for the one word answers until we got into a discussion about love. And I said, sister, what do you know about love? So she started to speak about love of God, love of others, etc. I said, sister, you know, that's not what I meant. I said, have you ever fallen in love with a man before you became a nun? You know what she said? Of course, uh, that broke it. And I said, talk about it. So it, 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 it's that. You, I recovered myself after 20 minutes on air, but I was lost the first 20 minutes. And that's a long time on live television. It right. was humbling. It was humbling. But see, you said, um, Tito Boy, you said that's your most memorable interview, the most difficult, challenging 20 minutes probably of your life in, <laughs> in interviews. And that's the one you brought up with me. Right. And you also yeah. mentioned that you I mean, there was nothing to go on. So you said, Lord, you know, do something. Help me here. And you said you surrendered. And maybe that's why it's so memorable, memorable, because maybe that was the turning point where you completely let go and gave it up to God, the universe to guide sure, and yeah. direct you. Because I remember you started with that in our interview. Um, right. You started with saying that that's something very important to you is just to let sort of the universe and God guide you and direct you. Um, wow, that's so beautiful. No, when I remember that now, it's terrifying. It's really terrifying. But how would have I handled that today? I would have told her on air. I would have told her, Sister Christine Tan, you have to help me. I don't know what to ask you. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's nice to bring your audience to where you are. Bring them to where you are. I'm having difficulties, sister, really. Because, you know, I would have done it. But, of course, it takes a lot of, I call it seasoning. It takes a lot of seasons for you to get, you know, to that confidence you know, confident space to be able to say, this is where I am. I need help from you. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Let's talk about the pandemic. Because even for the most confident person, I'm sure you can agree, the pandemic has been a really big challenge. So tell me about your experience with the pandemic. You know, were there kind of any um, challenges you faced Anything with mental health, anything that, you know, made your own well-being something that you had to prioritize anymore? What was your experience with it? Okay, I'll start with the present. Just the other day, I spoke to my partner and I said, I do not, I don't understand. I cannot understand why there are some moments when I sit down, I read my book and I don't move. I said, something's wrong with me. I don't know. I, I, I watch a material and... Uh, I, I don't move. Sabi ko nga Bong, you know, I was telling my partner Bong, um, I go to what Lady Gaga, you know, Lady Gaga and Oprah had this conversation. And when you're in a state where you're immobilized, Gaga would say, do the, the opposite action. Just do something. Just stand. Just go. Uh, get a drink or whatever. It's difficult. There are mornings you wake up and you're okay. 
There are mornings when you wake up and you're not okay. And um, in the beginning of the pandemic, I used to be so terrified. I, I used to be so paranoid. Is this the beginning of the virus? Uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling uh, hot. Uh, hot. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, not hot, feverish. <laughs> I'm feeling um, something is in my throat. So you have this kind of paranoia because you didn't know and you weren't familiar with COVID, with the virus. So we prayed. Uh, I, I prayed hard. I spoke to doctors and I was unsettled. Uh, not just for me, but for my family. So until the end of 2020, when I started to become hopeful, this is not going to last. So I started to feel better. The beginning of 2021, there was a surge and it was another terrifying stage. What is happening? What is happening? This is not going to end tomorrow. And uh, yeah, you started, you started to deal with a lot of things, your own mortality. You started to deal with what happens, the what ifs, but you always go back. You always go back to praying. You always go back. You know, I'm, I was raised a Catholic. You always go back to kneeling. That's the best place in the world at the feet of the Lord. And you say, you know, I just take good care of me. But the pandemic again reminded me of how ephemeral everything is, how that this is such a quick transition, how fleeting everything is, yeah. that we have to value it. You know, it brought me back to telling myself, I, you know, I was telling my, my, my family, bring me back to the province. I'm okay. Bring me back to where I was. I'm okay. I will be less afraid. I will be, I will be more comfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And maybe it was God's way of reminding me, I don't know with others, that, you know, you were forgetting a lot of things. You were running too fast. You thought you were invincible. You thought you were on top of a mountain. You thought everything was, you know, I, 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 I thought it, it was a necessary, it is, because we're still in the middle of the pandemic. It is a necessary, it is a necessary nudge. You know, it, it's, uh, hey, hey, uh, it's not just all about you. It's not all about work. It's not all about uh, making a lot of money and being famous. And it's not all about making it, etc. There are other things, boy, that you have forgotten. Go back and maybe come up with a good balance. That's why I said equanimity is very important to me, which is both physical and spiritual. Find that balance. You're forgetting a lot of things. You're forgetting, as, as they would say, you're forgetting to smell the flowers. Because uh, uh, Sanaya, when you are in the business, it's a race. It's about a game. It's about winning. Yeah. It's about getting there first. It's about doing the exclusives. It's about doing the best interviews. It's about forgetting, forgetting that there are other important things. And that's what happened during the pandemic. Now, after almost two years, my memory is clear. I remember you know, we started um, the conversation, the beginning of our conversation together, we talked about how it's so important to be in that uncertain place, in the place of, of uncomfortable. And that's where the magic happens. That's where God is. That's where God resides. Right. And we're sort of ending our conversation on that note that the biggest uncertainty, the biggest state of uncomfortable, I think most of us have ever experienced is the pandemic. Right. And even in this uncertainty, even in this uncomfortableness, there is magic 
you know, there is God, there is a silver lining. And I think each one of us can vouch for, you know, if we're able to look for it, even if we're able to, to recognize it, that there is that something that has changed. There's that something, some nudge, some understanding, um, some realization that was very important for us to get from this experience that we are all still amidst, right? It's not quite over yet, um, though it definitely is a lot more hopeful. And I think so the I, message also, Sanaya, that we are all going to die. I was so afraid to say that line in the past. After Nana's death, I could not talk about death. But yes, we're all going to die. And we have choices. We have choices on how to live so that we can talk about death. And my choice is I want to be a better human being. I want to be a better human being. With this pandemic, I want to be a better human being. Yeah. And I can talk about death only from that space. Only from that space. That's so beautiful. And it's something I really felt as you were saying it in my own heart. Um, Tito boy, I want this conversation to go on for another hour or two. But we are uh, an hour and a half into it. So it is um, the end of our episode today. But before we do that, I would like to request you for your project loving myself mantra or message, something wow. that you can share with our audience, you know, something that you have picked up on your own journey that has helped you that may help other people. And if you can impart wow. that. Oh, no, but before that, thank you. Love, love the title of your podcast, Project Loving Myself. I truly love it. Truly love it. In itself, it is a reminder that, yes, indeed, we have to love ourselves. And, yes, I have my podcast, too. It's called Who Are You When No One Is Watching. Uh, it should be starting anytime now. I gathered eight actors in the Philippines. And so now I am proud of this particular series because I talked to eight actresses and we talk about craft. We talk about technique. We talk about what it is, what would the, the, uh, the discipline of acting, what it is to act. And it's a wonderful series. It's a wonderful series of uh, conversations. Tito Boy, before yes. you go on, and I apologize to interrupt, I actually do did want to get into your podcast because that is another very, very interesting name. Who are you when no one is watching? I remember when you launched the podcast, because I believe now you're on season two. When you launched season one and that, you know, the illustration that was out on social media and who are you when no one is watching? That question I actually asked myself, who am I when no one is watching? Am I living my truth? Am I the same person that I show and present to the world? So I have to say that right from the get-go, that your podcast really caught my attention. And of course, you know, your name is on it. That's already, you know, uh, that is already enough for anybody to to want to know more because you carry so much of a legacy in your name itself. But I did want to also ask you to tell us a little bit more about what to expect for season two and um, how your experience has been with this podcast. Can we actually talk a little bit more about that before we get into the uh, the mantra? Yes, uh, I started doing the podcast not knowing what it was. <laughs> I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> and then uh, that was the time when Michelle Obama was also doing her pod podcast. And I told um, 
you know, the guys of Pod, uh, Podcast Network Asia, if Michelle is doing it, I should be doing it. <laughs> so I totally had no idea. I said, I'll just talk. So I did that first uh, season and I had so much fun. I had so much fun. But now that I'm doing my second season, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to do conversations with uh, Angelica Panganiban, Isa Calzado, Cherie Hill, and many others. And I wanted to talk to them about uh, acting, what it is to be an actor. How do you do it? How do you do what you do? How do you become, how do you inhabit a character? How do you become, how do you believe it? It's about believing. So really wonderful conversations with uh, eight actors, some, eight of the best actresses of this country. And we're going to drop our first episodes, I think, in the next few days. And uh, this is an invitation I, uh, to, to everyone to eavesdrop on uh, who are you? We know what, we know one is watching. When we were planning the podcast, Sanaya, and when I came up with that title, Who Are You When No One Is Watching? It is really an invitation to be nude. <laughs> it's an invitation to nudity, to strip yourself mm. naked in a world that is so curated, in a world that is so filtered. It has become so difficult to see yourself. So when you hear the question, Who Are You When No One Is Watching? Yes, is an invitation for everyone. So strip yourself naked and ask the question, who are you when no one is watching? Wow, I got goosebumps when you said that. I'm yeah. really excited for it. I can't wait to listen. I go to the mantra, project loving myself. I would say, me first, comma, me last. Explain last. that for me. Explain that for me, Tito Boy. Me last to me means that you have to express who you are by taking good care of the family, the community, the world, and others. You put yourself last. You serve. I don't think life will ever be meaningful without service. You have to serve. You have to serve your mother. You have to serve your country. You have to put yourself last. To be able to do that. Mandela once said that one of the ways to take care of the herd is to guide it from the back. Is to guide it from the back. So that's what I mean by me last. So that you can love the world. But you can only do that if you put yourself first. Oprah said this. That people would react sometimes and say, I would like to fill my cup to its fullest. Some people say that's that, that's you know that's that's the art of getting. You know, it, it's it's I think uh, just about yourself. You have to fill your cup to the fullest. But I agree with her when she says you can only share what you have when your cup is full. So I say to you now, me first, me last. I've heard um, Tito Boy, me first a lot. And I love what you said, which is me first. And you added to that me last. And I think that is something that is going to resonate with everyone listening in on our conversation today. It will resonate with every Filipino because I think it is inherent in our culture, in the Filipino culture, that it's not just me, myself and I, but that 
you know, we are also a community, we're a country that we are here to serve each other. And I think that is also the beautiful influence of religion and this country and this idea of helping each other. You know, that is something that is very, very important um, to this country. So thank you for sharing that and for putting it so eloquently in, in, in those, those words. I have to really, really thank you for this amazing opportunity to share uh, your thoughts, to, to, you know, get your perspective on so many things. I'm very, very grateful, Tito Boy. I truly enjoyed the conversation. I hope we get to do it again. And I've yes. learned a lot from our conversation today. Thank we you. Should. We should. And let me end this because I, it seems like you're also familiar with my favorite poetess, Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, the, the favorite, my favorite uh, saying from uh, Angelou is, I come as one. I stand as 10,000. You know, I never alone, you're never alone, Sanaya. I stand in the shoulders, on the shoulders of my ancestors, of my nanai, of my father, of my grandparents. I, I stand on the shoulders of my, of my whole clan, of fishermen and farmers from Samar. And they are a courageous bunch. And they're with me now. I stand on their shoulders, proud. So I come as one, I stand as 10,000. Thank you. What a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. Tito Boy, before we end the episode, please share with our listeners how they can uh, find your podcast, how they can reach you, your socials. Please do uh, share. Uh, You can eavesdrop. You can listen to my podcast on Spotify, on Podcast Network Asia, and on any platform where you listen to your podcasts. And uh, let's talk. Let's uh, continue the conversation. You can also watch my interviews on the Boy Abunda Talk channel on YouTube. And I have uh, the best talk on Kumu. That's my show on ABS-CBN. And I also have uh, my Facebook fan page, the Boy Abunda Official. But most important of all, whatever it is, we have each other. I've been with the Filipino I've been with the Filipinos for a long, long time, Sanaya. I will always be with them. I will always be one of them. I will always be, I will always be the Tito boy of uh, my audiences from way, way, way back. And it is a fun ride. No matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, it has, was, is still a fun ride because of their love, of their love, because I am one of them. Truly, truly one of them. Thank you. Wow. What an episode. What a conversation. I'm still reeling from it. I mean, I was just talking to, um, to my producer and, you know, I was, I was nervous about this conversation and this was such an amazing conversation. So I'm so grateful that I have that little bit of, you know, nervousness, maybe that allowed me to do a better job on this interview. So sometimes we have to see, you know, what are these little indications in our body? What do they tell us and how can they, they help us? If you enjoyed this episode with Tito Boy, do tag at Project Loving Myself Podcast and at Sanaya Gurnamal and tell me about your thoughts. I love hearing from you guys, so please talk to me and share. I would be so grateful if you can follow this podcast on Spotify, 
and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. It's interesting in this digital time, the way we feel your love is when you hit the subscribe button and you drop those likes. So keep them coming. Now, the quote that inspired me from this episode is, do not listen with the intent to reply, but with the intent to understand. And that's something I really take from my conversation with Tito Boy. I think that's something that, you know, he has learned along the way and he's able to impart to us how important it is to listen, to understand and not be so quick to just kind of, you know, respond and react and maybe say things that we don't think about. Instead, to listen and to really kind of feel the other person and what they are saying. Perhaps what we are missing in this digital age is the ability to listen. We have lost that along the way as we have found more power in our voice. And though, you know, we are more empowered, we are able to speak up. We are about able to create content and, and share our, our perspective, our POV um, through all these different social media platforms. But I think we also must understand that as important as it is to speak our truth, it is also important to also have the ability to listen and to understand others. Perhaps balance is always in order. Thank you for listening to me today on this episode. And don't forget how so very loved you are. Thank you once again for joining me on Project Loving Myself, brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Podmetrics. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.